What if I'm making the biggest mistake of my life? What if I had staked my life on the wrong thing? What if God isn't real? What if the Bible isn't true? And and I think pretending that we don't ask those questions occasionally is one of the worst things we can do. I think making a practice of asking those questions and sort of girding up ourselves and allowing other people into those questions with us is, is so important for our formation. Hi, friends. I'm Amy Julia Becker, and this is Love is Stronger Than Fear, a podcast about pursuing hope and healing in the midst of personal pain and social division. I got to talk with Lori Ferguson Wilbert today about all the questions that we are invited to ask, questions we're invited to ask of God and of ourselves. We got to talk about how those questions can open up spacious places in our souls. Really glad you get to join me for this conversation. Lori Ferguson Wilbert, welcome to Love is Stronger Than Fear. Thanks, Amy Julia. Um, I'm so glad you're here. And we have known each other kind of through like the internet for many years, but I think this is the first time we're getting to talk face to face. And I know listeners are not seeing your face, but I am, and I'm glad for that. Um, And there are all sorts of things that I would like to talk to you about, but we're here today really to talk about your uh, latest book. And it is called A Curious Faith, The Questions God Asks, We Ask, and We Wish Someone Would Ask Us which I love that title so much, both the title and the subtitle. So I thought maybe we could start. And <laughs> I realized when I was preparing for this that I may use the word curious way too much in this conversation <laughs> because That's okay. I am curious about lots <laughs> of things that involve your book about curiosity. Um, but I am curious about the title. Um, and I'm wondering where it came from and just how that might relate to what prompted you to write the book. It's interesting that you asked that because that wasn't the title in my head while I was writing the book. Oh, okay. Uh, as writers, we don't often get to pick our titles. Um, I really, uh, in my head, I, it was um, from a T.S. Eliot quote about disturbing the universe. In my head, it was it was called Disturb the Universe. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I, I lost out on that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so Curious Faith, I think that um, the book is about the ways that we engage uh, questions about our faith, about God, about ourselves, the ways we engage questions um, uh, from God, from other people. Um, I think so often our faith tends to be in something bedrock that we can see, like tangible things. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to explore what does it mean to exercise curiosity about things we can't see? I also was wondering whether there was any intended like double meaning of the word curious in terms of like an odd faith, like a, you know, like, mm. oh, that's a curiosity. Like that's something strange and not strange in a bad way. Strange in yeah. kind of a like, I'm intrigued. I'm curious about that curious thing. Like, has that bit, was that a part of, I mean, again, I know the title came after the book. So, but yeah. I was thinking about that. Yeah, I love that you brought that up. I actually haven't thought about that, but I love <laughs> okay. that idea because I do think that peculiar, that's, a, I think, yeah, a good yeah, word peculiar. of what you're saying. I do think that it's peculiar in the church today. I mean, for generations and generations and throughout church history, asking questions was a regular part of, I mean, if you look at the church fathers and the church mothers, they're constantly yeah. sort of ruminating over questions 
practicing curiosity about God, practicing curiosity about themselves. But I just think it's something we've really lost in the last mm-hmm. maybe hundred years, probably, I don't know, with the enlightenment, with the industrial age, like we we're people of, you know, we want to, we want to see facts and figures and cold, hard things. And so, yeah. so I do think that it is peculiar in 2022 to have a curious faith. Yeah, that's, I just thought that worked in terms of why the title mm-hmm. was very uh, clearly saying, here's what this book is about. It's about asking questions. But then there was this kind of like subtle uh, suggestion that there might be something even in the act of asking questions that was um, curious, that was peculiar. And I, I think you write even about that a little bit um, in terms of like, I guess you write about your own journey as a Christian and how really you'd grown up in the church and yet had, a, I think you would call it a, like a conversion experience as an adult. And I'd love to hear about that and what changed and especially whether uh, the role of question asking and curiosity changed in that experience of going from the kind of church going quote unquote good Christian to oh, I actually understand this stuff in a whole new way. Yeah. I mean, it was everything for me. It was like a lot of people who grew up in the eighties and nineties, um, whose faith was formed around, sorry, was faith was formed around, um, a lot of cultural Christianity. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we're talking things like purity culture and, um, a lot of politics. And so you were a Christian if you were, X, Y, Z. Those were the things that made you a Christian. And, um, and then I think in my twenties, I, I was going through a lot of things in my life, my personal life that were really, really difficult. And I found church to be the one place that felt safe. And by safe, I just mean it felt, um, it felt like it was the one thing that wasn't going to fall out from underneath me. Uh, but but I, as I began to know, you know, heal from some of the things that were going on, I began to re- to like reveal my heart. My heart began to be revealed that there was, it was empty in there. It was really there was nothing that was I was felt sure of. There was nothing that I felt um, was immovable. And um, and when I began to ask questions, they were kind of, and I don't think anyone intended to be, you know. Um, callous with me. I just think that when you're 28 years old and you're asking, is God good? Um, and you're surrounded by people who do believe that God's good. They, their answer is going to be, of course, God's good. You know, can't you just yeah. believe that God's good? Mm. When I think if someone's asking the question, is God good? There's a reason they're asking that question. And there's something underneath that question that needs yeah. to be sort of gotten to. And that takes curiosity, takes a willingness to be curious about our own lives. It takes a willingness for other people to be curious about our lives. And when I didn't experience like the goodness of curiosity in those years, um, I just kept going down and down and down until I ultimately was like, I just don't believe God is good. I don't believe he exists. Um, If he exists, he's not good to me. And I I just can't serve a God who's, you know, choosy about who he's going to be good to. Mm. And the Lord, I mean, through this amazing sort of weird coincidental uh, chain of events brought me to a place where one of the first things I heard um, 
from the pulpit in this church that I was beginning to go to was, uh, we're not afraid of your questions and God's not either. And that was like this, you know, uh, awakening for me where I thought, wow, there's, um, there's a wide pasture, you know, if God's, if God, if I can entertain the possibility that God might be good, um, I'm not saying he is I'm not saying mm-hmm. he exists, but if I can entertain the possibility that he might be good, what is goodness to me? Goodness is uh, permissive around questions. That was how I equated goodness. It was um, uh, Psalm 16 says it's a pleasant boundary line. And so, yeah, asking questions sort of became the I would say theme looking, looking back, I would say it was a theme. I don't know that I could have identified it as a theme in the moment, but yeah, looking back, it it definitely was a main theme for me leaving the church and then coming back. Yeah. So so it sounds like there was a sense of there was a time period, a long time period where it felt like, and it even had an experience of saying your questions are not welcome um, or they have like a very easy answer that does not actually address them in a way that's helpful. And and so that was what was like pushing you away or at least contributed to you saying, well, then maybe this is not for me. And then hearing that your questions were welcome opened up a way to say, okay, then maybe I can find out more and maybe there is something here for me. Is that accurate? Like Totally accurate. And I want to be careful again to not um characterize anyone from before as like they're not bad people right i think they just didn't uh they didn't have a rubric for how to um to question faith without losing it and so and i didn't coin that phrase aj swoboda said how to question your faith without losing it which i love that um and i just think so many churches don't have that rubric so many christians don't so yeah Yeah, I remember I worked for a um, parachurch youth ministry right out of college. And so one of the things I got to do there was just put together like teaching series and was trying to introduce high school kids to Jesus, really. And so one of the teaching series that we put together were questions that Jesus asks and questions that people ask Jesus. And it was such a wonderful, pretty early experience for me. Um, we just first went through the gospels and wrote down and it was like dozens and dozens and dozens of hundreds, like hundreds of questions, like so many questions. And so there was simply in that exercise of recognizing the number of questions and thinking about why do people ask questions? Like sometimes it's for information. Sometimes it's to build relationships. Sometimes it's because Mm -hmm. of doubt, but it's not even always that, right? Like, um, but usually you ask questions of people you trust. And so the fact that Jesus was both asking and responding to questions so often um, gave me a really different, I think, portrait of who God is and what God invites, which I think you really get at in this book, because, you know, each of your chapters starts just for those who haven't um, read it starts with a question that comes from the pages of the Bible. So not just from the gospels, but like the whole Bible. And there are a lot, I mean, I, I don't know, thousands of places in the Bible where there are questions I would imagine. And I wanted to get you to just talk a little bit about what you see as the significance of the fact that there are so many questions and they're like, they're really good questions. I mean, they're really, um, they're not just about um, getting the facts straight, right? But like, what what are the qu- types of questions that we find in the pages of scripture? 
what's the significance and what do they tell us about God and about ourselves? Mm, I love that question. Mm. Um, I mean, I think a good practice to hold um, as humans is the practice of, of knowing that there's always another question underneath the question. Mm-hmm. So for instance, the first question that we um, see God asking humans in scripture is, where are you? You know, this is after Adam and Eve have eaten of the fruit. And I think um, that's a question of location, right? It's a question of, um, and, and you know, it's being asked by a omnipotent, omnipresent God. So he already knew the answer. Um, I, I just think it was important for them to answer the question. Yeah. But I think where are you is so much, it's so much more than just a, a question of location, you know, behind these bushes or behind this tree. Mm-hmm. It's a question of um, where have you, where have you located yourself mm-hmm. in the story? Have you found yourself in the story that you're living? And when you get underneath that, there's so many more questions Um that we can ask about our location. We can ask about our social location. We can ask about our geographic location. We can ask about our theological location. So there's all these questions that sort of um, should be asked if we're just asking a surface question. And I think all of the questions that I tried to work with in this book lent to that way of thinking, um, lent to saying there's so much more than meets the eye here in this question. And I'm not saying that was the intention of the asker or the intention of the, the answerer in, in those relationships. I'm just saying as, as believers, we have the opportunity to practice curiosity and ask what else is going on here. And, um, and I think so often in the church, we can kind of answer those questions with an with a intellectual answer. Um, well, this is, you know, in the ancient Near East, this is what was happening in that time. And here's why Jesus asked so many questions because he was of the, you know, he was a rabbi and mm. all those things. We can kind of give those answers, but I'm interested in the, I'm interested in the sort of existential philosophy, like these kind of questions that sort of tie us up inside sometimes that we're sometimes afraid to ask. Um, and I think there's so many of those questions in scripture. And I think you do a great job of pulling many of those out just that um, and, and pointing out the ways in which God is not asking Adam and Eve to say, um, I mean, essentially not asking them to say I'm hiding behind the tree, but like to actually come to terms with what has happened and who they are as much as any sort of like geographical uh, location uh, in the garden. Right. And yeah. that's true. Also, I mean, you bring up the um, some of the Jesus's questions in terms of uh, where is your faith is one I remember you writing about and that, th- that we can hear that as like exasperation, but it also, it might just be an honest question. Like, where is your faith? Like what's going yeah. on here? Um, yeah. Tell me about it. And I mean, and you think about just the the relational role of questions. Uh, and if you assume going into the, it's interesting, it was interesting to me reading this book in terms of um, the ways in which our assumptions about the character of the other person on the side of a question is going to really affect the way in which we hear that question. Yeah. And so like, if we see God as accusing Adam and Eve, when he says, who told you that you were naked or can Jesus condemning the disciples when he says, where is your faith? That's really different than if we see God asking, like inviting Adam and Eve to say, 
wait, who told you that you were naked? Let's talk about this. I mean, I think about like even my kids coming home from school and saying something that is, you know, again, maybe on the surface is true, but it's like, wait, who told you that? Like, what is making you believe that that is the truth about you? And how can we get to some other place together Or in terms of where is your faith? Like, what if that really was something that Jesus was intending for uh, them to build on together, to explore together. And I guess it seems to me that there was a transition for you between God as someone who might ask questions out of like irritation and anger and like, well, those humans, as opposed to a God who is like asking with gentleness and patience and, and love. And so I'm curious, like how you even understood, understand how God, an understanding of God's character affected your own experience of those questions. I mean, understanding God's character was everything for me Mm. Um, in my coming to understand the gospel. um, The picture that I had of God before I knew his character Mm -hmm. was so inaccurate. It was so inaccurate. So coming to know and trust his character, it's pivotal, really. Um, But I think it's also really important to understand ourselves you know so much has been written about this in in recent years um about knowing ourselves and knowing god and having to know ourselves before we can know god i think one of the things i say in the book is god made you curious because he wants to be found and that is so important to understand because we can shame our curiosity we can um we can shame our doubt we can shame our inquisitiveness our skepticism and i think Instead, can we treat curiosity like this um, labyrinth that leads us to mm. to God? Can we treat it like that? And I think if we can, I don't even want to say maze. I'm saying labyrinth on purpose because I don't think God is, um, he isn't, uh, he's not playing with us. Right. He's not trying to get us to, to move different places and then thwart our plans. He wants to, he wants us to find him. And um, for me, a labyrinth is a good picture of that where, you know, it might take a while to get there, but my curiosity is leading me toward him. And this isn't answering your question exactly, but I think in order for me to know him, I have to know myself. And in order for me to know myself, I have to know him. It's this sort of, um, uh, it's this very integrated relationship between the two. And understanding his character frees me up to understand my own character and understanding my character frees me up to understand his character. Because when I start to understand my character, I understand that I'm a created thing. Mm. And, um, and that helps, it frees me up to say, you are wholly apart from me and you're wholly different than me. So my understanding of love, my understanding of goodness, my understanding of faithfulness, my understanding of doubt, my understanding of death, my understanding of brokenness. It's not your understanding of these things. And so can I, can I trust that at the very least we are different? Um, And the way that I fear asking these questions or I fear um, what's on the other side of doubt, you don't, you don't fear me asking questions. You don't fear what's on the other side of my doubt. Mm -hmm. And that's huge. I think that's really, really big. Um, and it's really hard to get to that place. It really is an act of faith to be able to get to that place. And, and so, yeah, I think God's character is, it's pivotal in this process, understanding it. 
Yeah, and starting from an assumption of um, belovedness, like that God mm. is love um, and goodness and truth, right? And beauty and justice and all yeah. of those things, kindness, patience, goodness, all those things. And so, well, if that's the case um, and God is God, then God can take it. Like my doubts, my fears, my petulance. I mean, even if yeah. I am being like yeah. a really whiny or stubborn or any of the negative things I might think about myself, yeah. even that, like God can take it. And oftentimes that's actually not what I'm doing. And so I certainly don't need to assume that God will respond to my fears, doubts, or just my curiosity, like, huh, I don't get it, you know, um, yeah. with anything other than loving kindness. Um, even if that might come out by way of, you know, you yeah. write about Job and where God is basically like, you got to sit down and understand who I am before we can go any farther, you know? Yeah. Um, I well, So I, one of the quotations I wrote down was um, from your book, the Bible is a permission slip for those with questions, which I think mm -hmm. you've already spoken to a bit. But one of the things I've been thinking about in the past couple of years, when I think about my own writing, and I think yours um, can fall into this category as well, is that um, I've been thinking about writing for spiritual seekers, for people who mm -hmm. are asking questions about faith. And I hope that is true, that that's something I'm doing. And I want to be accessible to people who are not just like, oh, yeah, I've signed on the dotted line and I know who Jesus is and whatever. But I've also realized that I am writing for spiritual seekers who are Christians mm -hmm. as much as I'm writing for spiritual seekers who are not Christians. And that, in fact, there's a real um, congruence between people inside and outside of the church or whatever we want to call it yeah. when it, you're willing to ask questions. And so um, it seems to me that sometimes Christians assume that the questions stop once you have faith. Like that there's some difference between having faith and having questions and, um, you know, cause it's like, oh, we're a seeker friendly church. Right. And then once the seekers have their questions answered, they are Christians and therefore they're no longer seekers and we're done. And I'm like, well, wait a second. I'm a Christian and I'm a seeker. Like I still have a lot of questions and helping anyway, that's been a helpful recognition for me, yeah. but I'm also curious if you can speak to just the, why do we think that faith and curiosity or faith and questions are um, actually at odds with each other? I, I think because we're human and because we want, I mean, the very first sin was, um, you know, tasting of the tree that of, of the knowledge of good and evil and the temptation was um, you can be like God and know everything. And so I, it, this is not like a, this isn't a new uh, struggle in our flesh. Um, this is as, as old as time. And I think we can almost take that temptation of wanting to know everything and we can, in the church, we can say, well, we're going to swing the pendulum the other way. We're going to get as far away from uh, knowing everything. We're getting as far away from the desire to know everything as possible. And we're just going to say the answer is Jesus. Mm. Um, and nothing else is allowed to be talked about. Nothing is allowed to be um, explored beyond that. Or um, the Bible said it, we believe it, and it's uh, and therefore it's true. And the answer is Jesus and the Bible is true. But because of those two things, that means that there's a lot of space between uh, wanting to be like God and know everything and uh, choosing to not not entertain questions at all, and um, but I don't think I don't think we should be ashamed of either having questions or be ashamed of the fact that we have been, um, I think, 
culturally in the church, we've been silenced against having questions. I think both of those two things are just responses to living in a world where we don't understand everything and where we want to, and or we're just afraid to ask and we're afraid to to exercise faith. Um, it's really hard to be a human in the world, yeah. right? Like yeah. it's just hard. And I think the more grace we can have for ourselves and for our fellow travelers in that, um, the better that, that our journey will be. I don't know if that answers your question exactly, but I think, I don't think there's one answer to the reason why we're so reticent. And I'm wondering, just in hearing you talk about this, whether there is like a modern dimension to it in the sense that, you know, before let's call it the printing press, the enlightenment, whatever, there was just an assumption and and even, you know, maybe for a couple hundred years afterwards that God existed. Like that was not actually a question, not, it wasn't like people weren't allowed to ask it. They just, it didn't in the same way that we don't, we're not asking the question of whether the atmosphere exists. Yeah, It does. We know that like, that's just a given. And so I do wonder whether once you've pulled the thread on Mm -hmm. God's existence, which we have in our modern world, whether your point before, which is like behind every question is another question, and whether there is just a fear that I'm going to get to the ultimate question, which is, does God exist? And even behind that, there, because if the answer is no, well, then does that mean that love doesn't exist? And that like all of these other things, these attributes of God don't exist either. Um, And I, and there is a sense of like, is there a backstop? Like, is there a place where this does on some level finally land? And, and maybe, I mean, maybe that is like, yeah, it lands with faith, not with certainty um, in an actual personal God. Uh, But I, I think there's maybe a particularly modern fear um, of asking the question that leads to the question that leads to the question, because so much of our world has, you know, concluded like, no, like none of this, you know, the Bible is not true. Jesus was a real person, but not, you know, who he said he was and Mm -hmm. God does not exist. And therefore, you know, eat, drink and be merry. Um, I think it's so interesting that you asked that question because I think we so often ask the negative question. Uh, Mm -hmm. is God real? What if he doesn't exist? Um, What if love doesn't exist? What if morality and and all these things and they, you know, they make us spiral out. We very rarely ask the question, what if God does exist? What if love is real? What if love is as good as I I want it to be? Like when I imagine love in my mind, what if it's even better than what I imagine it to be? What if justice is better than what I see around me? Mm-hmm. What if God is better? What if God does exist and is is better than I think he is? We so rarely ask that question. Um, well, and there is um, like, there's the problem of suffering and the problem of evil, but there yeah. really is a corresponding problem of good, yeah. and of kindness and yeah. of gentleness, you know, all of those things, which I think is getting at part of what you're saying that yeah. like, yeah. Um, and, and I wonder whether curiosity yeah, hopefully is an invitation, not simply to ask the hard questions, but actually to ask those like wonderful questions of like, oh, maybe it's true. 
Um, yeah, I think I don't want to give away the ending, but I'm going to give away the ending. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the book, the answer is Jesus. But at the end of the book, the question that Jesus is asking Peter, like, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And the question I ask the reader is, can you love God? Can yeah. you trust God's love for you? Like, yeah. can you trust that it's almost too good to be true right. instead of too terrible to be um, to be lived. And I think it's so important for us to recalibrate our lives in a sense to, to asking to, to risk. Cause it's such a, it feels like such a risk to ask if something is good enough, um, or if it, it actually exists or if it's as good as I want it to be. It feels so much more risky in my mind than mm. to ask, um, questions about the negative. Uh, yeah. and I'm not sure why, but probably because it's hope and hope is really hard. Yeah. And hope is, I think, particularly hard without um, an anchor. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm just like, and, and to think that we, there's so much that we don't know and we won't know, uh, you know? And, and so on the one hand, there's a tremendous freedom in saying, I'm going to put my hope, I'm going to put my trust, I'm going to put my faith in the one who knows, in the one who is love, in the one who is justice, and you know, all of those things. Yeah. And there's like this cynical voice in my head that says um, that, what if it's all going to fall apart? Um, yeah. Yeah. What if it's all for naught? And, and I think, I just yeah, want to say, like, I think that's okay. Like, I just, I... I think probably more of us, even more faithful Christians than we know, occasionally have that thought in the back of their minds, what if I'm making the biggest mistake of my life? What if I have staked my life on the wrong thing? What if God isn't real? What if the Bible isn't true? Yeah. And, And I think pretending that we don't ask those questions occasionally is one of the worst things we can do. I think, I think asking those questions, making a practice of asking those questions and sort of girding up ourselves and um, allowing other people into those questions with us uh, is, is so important for our formation. Which leads me that to like, there's a lot in this book of your own story of loss mm-hmm. and absence and things not working out as planned and traumatic events and just a sense of deprivation, like all of these hard things. And yeah. um, that leads to this classic question of like, where is God when it hurts? Why do innocent people suffer? How do we understand goodness and love alongside human suffering, right? That whole set of like philosophical, ethical, spiritual questions. Yeah. Um, and certainly, you know, I don't think you cracked the code in a way that the, <laughs> I didn't even try, <laughs> right? but I am curious, like whether writing this book changed any of those questions for you mm. or kind of not landed you again in some like neat and tidy answer, but mm. gave you any more sense of, um, grounding in facing suffering and loss. I'm really glad you were used the word grounding because, mm. For me, it is, it's a very uh, visual picture that I have of God and my questions around suffering and loss and absence and all those things. And the picture is what I, what I said at the beginning, Psalm 16 talks about that pleasant boundary line that's fallen for me. Indeed, I have a delightful inheritance. And so um, when I think about the fence that God has around my questions and my life, it is a 
giant fence mm-hmm. with, and it contains a very green pasture. Yeah. Um, a lot of space to wrestle. Um, I'm not going to arrive um, in the new heavens and face Jesus. And he is not going to say to me, man, you were just too curious about me. You were just too curious about my plan. You yeah. just wanted to know too much about suffering and loss and love and justice. Like that's not what God's going <laughs> to Jesus is not going to say that. Yeah. He's going to say, uh, were you faithful within the pasture that I gave you? And the pasture that he's given me, and I think the pasture he's given every Christian, um, is a really generous pasture mm-hmm. in which we can wrestle and we can practice curiosity for a really long time for the rest of our lives. And so I would say, in answer to that question, I don't know that I have arrived anywhere um, that is more solid or more firm. I have arrived into a place where it's like, wow, I'm so grateful for the generous pasture in which mm-hmm. I find myself. I'm so grateful that I don't live a straight-jacketed faith anymore. I'm so grateful that I don't think that God is this punitive God who's like ripping things away from me as soon as I lose my faith. He's not like he's not disappointed in me constantly. I'm his beloved. Um, he loves to see me frolic in the pasture. He loves to see me rest beside still waters. And he loves too for me to explore that pasture to find out what's behind every rock and tree, um, in the pasture. Yeah, I love that. And I, um, I'm thinking about, this was uh, again, a long, long time ago when I kind of confronted, um, the death of a friend for the first time where, um, um, younger, actually he was five years younger than us. So kid who had been involved in the ministry we were part of, um, Mm -hmm. was in a car accident. And, I spent some pretty intentional time just uh, like one afternoon um, confronting this loss with God because I, you know, had known people who died before, but not in this way. And it was so senseless. And, um, and really at that point, almost anything bad that had happened in my life of faith, eventually I could come up with a story that explained it where it was like, Oh, I got the bad grade on the test. So I would learn how to study. I mean, I didn't, that's I'm, I'm making that up, but there were things like that where it was like, yeah. oh, this, you know, was the reason for that. Yeah. And there was no reason. Mm-mm. Like, And in fact, I mean, I now can look back on it and I'm like, yes, it is. I, I would much rather live in a world in which there is absolutely no good reason yeah. for a 19 year old to lose his life in a car accident, as opposed yeah. to that was something God did for yeah. thus and such a purpose. Like, so I'm relieved at that answer that isn't an answer. But really the only thing I heard in three hours of like sitting on this bench and crying out to God um, was the words, I understand that I do not understand. Mm -hmm. Like that was where I had to leave it was like, I, I either trust you enough to say, even though I don't understand, I'm going to keep going or I don't. And, and I think the don't would have been fine in that moment too, right. To your point about yeah. the expansive pasture, but that actually was really comforting to me, that sense yeah. of like, I'm never going to understand this. And there's actually some goodness in that there is a, God's heart is grieved by young people dying in car accidents, like yeah. period, end of story. And, yeah. um, and I, that was again, a place of invitation to question. It didn't shut the questions down, but it also was kind of a different 
answer than maybe the ones I had ever had before, where it was like, oh, it makes sense of it all. Like beginning, middle, end. Now I'm done. As opposed to like wide open world where some bad things happen and I don't understand it. Um, And there's a lot of beauty and goodness and I want to be a part of that. So we're going to- And that's faith. That's faith. Like that is, that's the, the, this, this juxtaposition between like, I do not understand I cannot put my faith in something that I can sink my teeth into in this situation. And yet I am going to be okay with the fact that I don't understand that cross point right there. That's faith. Yeah. And that's a curious faith. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're just so quick to call what we understand faith. And I think, honestly, I think about what we're seeing in the church right now and I'm just seeing people fall. I mean, constantly fall away from the Lord or what I perceive to be falling away from the Lord. And really what it is, is they're falling away from institutions. They're falling away from people because they put their faith in, in those things. And I know, cause I've been there. I've put my faith in institutions, mm. put my faith in people. Um, but that, that beautiful sweet spot of when we can say like, I believe help my unbelief. That's faith. Right. Right there. That's faith. And it's hard to live there. It's like almost impossible to live there because we're human and because we don't like that, that sort of tension that happens. It's not natural to have that tension. Um, and yet I think it is really good. I think there's a good space there. Yeah. And I do think our world brings us to that place um, pretty yeah. frequently. Um Well, I'm curious, like at the beginning of this podcast, I always introduce it by saying that this is a podcast about finding hope and healing in the midst of personal pain and social division. Mm -hmm. So anyone who's listened will have heard me say that before. Um, But I am wondering for you whether this journey of beginning to ask questions and pursue faith in a different way, um, asking questions of yourself and of God, whether and in what way that's been a journey of like hope and healing for you. Have there Mm -hmm. been ways in which this has brought renewed or different sense of like hope and, or uh, yeah, kind of healing some wounded places. Yeah. I, I think, um, our world is so fractured right now. It's so divided. And, you know, I talk to people who are in their sixties and seventies and even they say, I've never seen it like this before. It's, Mm. it is just so fractured. And um, I think that comes, and, you know, a sense of hopelessness comes with that. But I also think for me, that's ground that's that's really ripe for curiosity. So if I can get curious about my neighbor who um, has a Confederate flag hanging on their porch, like if I can get curious about that neighbor, and I can also get curious about my other neighbor who has a rainbow flag hanging from their porch. Like, I think that's a really powerful thing. Like, mm. that's a really beautiful thing to be able to get curious about people we don't understand and people mm-hmm. we don't we might not necessarily agree with or um uh find virtue in yeah um i think it's really powerful to to have a a practice of curiosity in our lives and that has been personally really powerful for me there are sometimes when i'm faced with a question that leads me to to a reality that while I can have empathy for the person, I still have to say that's wrong. Like that's, that's a matter of justice. That's a matter of righteousness. And, and I understand why you chose that, that position, but I I still have to say in my heart, that's wrong. That's sinful. That's broken. Um, But that doesn't mean I can't start with curiosity. Yeah. Um, Well, and just as we come to kind of to the close of this conversation, I, 
I'm recognizing that I'm a question asker. I love it when people ask me questions. I love, you know, I host a podcast because I like asking people questions, but I also like getting to new answers. Um, And I do find a need to rest in the presence of God and sometimes be not done with my questions in like a permanent way, but in the sense of like, you know, again, back to your image of the pastor, just like time to lie down by the still waters, like makes me lie down, you know? Um, And I'm wondering whether you have any intentional practices of resting in the love of God amidst all of the enduring questions. Mm, That's such a good question. I would say, I mean, for me, being out in nature is the best practice for Mm -hmm. me too. And we live in a place that is just, I mean, it's just ripe with beauty. And so uh, we are outside all the time and it is a space that reminds me of the bigness of God and Mm -hmm. the goodness of God. And, um, and again, it's like this, this sort of tangible representation of the pasture of the wideness and the expanse and the space to move around. And so, um, yeah, I think being out on my kayak, being in the woods, those kinds of things are really good practices for me. Mm, I love that. And I, and I think it will be, I mean, I think one of the things that comes up in your book, but also in this, this conversation is that sense of, uh, there are some questions that tie us together and needs that we all have, but there's also a sense of the particularity of who you are and how God Mm -hmm. wants to actually encounter you or your community or your neighborhood. And, um, for many of us, I think being in nature will be an answer there, but for some of us, it will be something different. And, um, just knowing that God wants to give us, um, I think that that need for questions is a part of being human, but so is that need for rest and that God wants to give us both those things. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Well, thank you for giving us um, so many prompts for really good questions Mm. and conversations in your book. And um, thank you for your time here today. Mm, Thanks for having me. Thanks as always for listening to this episode of Love is Stronger Than Fear. We rely on word of mouth around here. So please let other people know if you enjoyed this episode and please also leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps to get the word out. Thanks also to Jake Hansen for editing this podcast. Thanks to Amber Beery, my social media coordinator who makes everything behind the scenes happen. And finally, as you go into your day to day, I hope and pray you will carry with you the peace that comes from believing that love is stronger than fear.